0: this community that we're in, it's different, better, more like Jesus. And then over my years as a pastor, an even more sharpening of that reality for me. As a follower of Jesus, what am I being called to be in the world? Our imagination around justice and in the United States has been deeply shaped by Western understandings of justice, which come out of uh, the Greek philosophical tradition, especially Aristotle. Biblical justice is about doing that which God wants for the world. It's about not not what we deserve, but that which God wants for the world, that which God requires for the world. And, and what we know that God that was revealed to us through Jesus Christ. God whose primary impetus is love. That shapes our imagination as to that which is just in the world. How do we go about that justice?
1: Welcome to The Grit Podcast, getting real immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Robrina Rattle. Joining me today is Pastor Juan Carlos Huertas, a sojourner, hearer, and follower of Jesus. Pastor Juan Carlos has a Master's of Divinity from Emory University and a Bachelor's of Religion from Louisiana College. He has pastored churches in Louisiana and moved to Lincoln, Nebraska with his wife and kids for a position as Minister of Proclamation and Practice of Justice at First Plymouth Congregational Church. We're so glad they're here. Listen in as we talk about how Jesus views justice. Thank you so much for joining us, Juan Carlos. It's good to be with you. I wanted to talk to you about something that seems to be misunderstood or misconstrued, especially now in Christian culture, biblical justice. Yes. First, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your family of origin and what brought you to Nebraska.
0: Wow. Those are great questions. Uh, So my name is Juan Carlos, as you said. I am originally from Puerto Rico and came to the States when I was almost 14 years old and our family settled in in the state of Louisiana. And to make a very long story short, we have basically been moving around Louisiana for almost 30 years now. First as a student and then for the last 16 years as a pastor. And my spouse and I, and we have three children together, we received this call to come to nebraska to serve here at first plymouth church and we felt believe really it, this was god's invitation after 16 years in a united methodist context mm. to come and become part of this united church of christ community in lincoln nebraska to to do work that's pastoral with a justice edge so my official title and it's long but it's I'm the minister of proclamation and practice of justice here at First Plymouth Church in Lincoln Nebraska and and that's really
1: exciting. Wow. That's really neat. When you and I met and I heard that was your title I was like oh my goodness what? I I don't meet very many people that that is a a specific area of teaching and
2: Christian
1: like. circles. I, I do have a, a couple, though, which I actually, if you have not met uh, Kirsty Engel, mm. she's at I think uh, First United Methodist. Also, Dr. John Spilker, he's also there. He also teaches justice. Okay, get you guys me? together. Yeah, oh, that would be I, great. I, yeah, tell me about your journey to the work that you're doing now in justice, and if you could explain to our listeners. Me too, what biblical justice looks like and the difference in how we how we view justice and, and the difference in biblical justice.
0: Yeah, so for me, really it began a long time ago. At the time I didn't know it, but it began as a child as I began, I was always a very curious child. Especially around issues of God and theology, the Bible always had all these questions, and always was raised. I was raised in a in a family that always had a concern for those around, or people who were different, for people who found themselves in difficult circumstances, and so even early on, my imagination was shaped by these encounters in my family, in the church, and so. And I think in in many Latin American churches, not all, but if I was to make a generalization, there is a certain understanding of community and a certain understanding of of helping neighbor that's almost distinctive. And I'm not sure uh, about African American communities in the United States, but I know in Latino communities, we have this this sense of, of we do belong to each other Mm. We do have to care for neighbor, and and really, in some ways, if you are in caring for neighbor, then who's going to care for them, right? I mean, there's this deeper understanding, more much more communitarian. Yes, we have that too. The
1: village. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, so I think that's that's part of that imagination that I was raised in, and then really felt that call to be pastor sometime in late high school. But even that was shaped by this imagination of the church being a place that provided not just for spiritual nourishment, but really for the nourishment of the whole being mm-hmm. and for community. So, church was not just about me getting my Jesus on, but it really was about this deeper understanding of we are in this body together and this body exists, so that then this community that we're in is different, better, more like Jesus. And then over my years as a pastor, an even more sharpening of that reality for me. As a follower of Jesus, what am I being called to be in the world? And I really, really in some ways felt a deep conviction that that uh, calling had to include neighbor and had to include how to make life better for neighbor. And, and how do I lead a community of faith, right? If I'm the pastor, Mm -hmm. then I'm a leader. How do I lead them into that kind of engagement that is real and concrete and gritty and difficult in the midst of people's life? Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Like I recognize, I recognize that reality. So that's, that's how kind of the journey got to this point about biblical justice, as we have discussed before when we met, talked for a while together about some of these things, I realized that for many of us in the Christian tradition in the United States, we've been deeply shaped into an understanding of church that I think to me rings kind of too individualistic. Mm. Uh, It rings too distant from from a biblical vision Mm. of shalom, of peace, wholeness, integrity of the whole being of this communitarian understanding that we read in in scripture throughout scripture about being a body about being a people that understanding and maybe it's become too individualistic too hyper focused on just me myself and i and and that understanding i think has been to the detriment of of the church as a, as the body of Christ in the world. And so to begin to recover this idea of a God who's at work in the world through the body of Christ, and that then part of that work is work of justice of making things right in the world
1: Mm.
0: or making things right in the direction of what God wants, desires for the world. This God who creates and recreates, this God who who restores and redeems, this God who calls us together as a people, that's the kind of God that then calls us to to do justice in the world. So for me, uh, justice is the cornerstone of what it means to follow Jesus, and honestly, even more than that, what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be the church.
1: Mm. I would agree with you on that. We were just kind of talking before the podcast about justice and how it seems to be a trigger word in our faith communities right now, which is shocking to me because God is a God of justice. That is one of his attributes. And so we, we're, what we were talking about is how we define justice individually. And then you mentioned how we take it as a Hellenistic type view and then the difference in how God uh, views justice which is uh, similar to what you just said is what is what are we supposed to do in the world and so I guess my question is how do we how do we not take on the Hellenistic view of justice and maybe you can define that yeah put on the Jesus justice like to carry that and like, as we're supposed to carry out his ministry. Yeah. So how do we carry that out?
0: Yeah, so, so our imagination around justice in, in the United States has been deeply shaped by Western understandings of justice, which come out of uh, the Greek philosophical tradition, especially Aristotle. So Aristotle believed that justice was about us doing that which the other deserved. What do humans deserve? That was justice. That which we deserve. And so if you think about it in in a context like the United States, that idea, it's, it's like retributive justice, right? That which you deserve. And the conversations surround that all around. And certainly that is a a way of understanding justice, but I would say it's not the biblical way of understanding justice. If you read the text of scripture, and if you follow a longer Christian tradition, and for me as a, as a pastor, it's not just about what's in scripture, it's 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 a much larger way of, of thinking about how do we interpret the text, how do we live into that text. So it includes not just scripture proper, but. Our theological traditions, our engagements with the world, all those things affect and have a say in how we interpret a text. And that in itself can be quite controversial in many North American, especially white contexts, not just white, but especially white contexts. And so biblical justice is about doing that which God wants for the world. That's what this is. It's about not not what we deserve, but that which God wants for the world, that which God requires for the world. And and what God, what we know, the God that was revealed to us through Jesus Christ is a God who heals, a God who restores, a God who renews, a God who recreates, a God whose primary impetus is love, that that shapes our imagination as to that which is just in the world how do we go about that justice so for me to think about my way of looking at the world and you might have heard this before oh oh one is a social justice christian i I think again again that just blows my mind because to me there there's no such a thing as a social justice christian as saying or a non-social justice christian right there's just a christian and and if you follow jesus which is the revelation of God in the world, then, then you, you have no other choice but to live into the ways of restoration and healing and wholeness and new life, living the way that Jesus lived, if exactly. you read the Gospels. So that's that's that difference between what I would call like Western individualism and its definition of justice, which is very deeply cultural in the United States, that which people deserve, which by the way then brings questions about who determines yes that who determines what you deserve who who what are the reigning forces who that make those choices and for your listeners especially if your listeners are african american or latino or women let's get real the forces of power in our culture are white and are male are well to do Are they the ones who determine what I deserve? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who determines? Whereas the biblical understanding of justice is a much broader understanding of us together, basically mimicking the work of Jesus Christ in the world. To say, here's what God wants for, for us in the world. It's still flawed, still gritty, still hard. At times, for some, this might sound utopian at its core but I believe that we can actually rehearse it. Mm -hmm. Is it going to come to completion in this life? No, I don't believe it will. Uh, History tells us that it won't, but we're still called to rehearse it. We're still called to attempt it. We're still called to to together go about it Mm -hmm. in the world. And to me, that's what it means to follow Jesus. So justice is the primary call for those of us who claim to follow Jesus.
1: Yeah. When you mentioned how people read or interpret scripture according to their context or background, it reminds me of this book. I don't know if, if you've read it yet. It's by Esau Macaulay, Reading While Black. Um, oh, yeah. can, Biblical Interpretation. Yeah. That was very interesting to me because I was like, that is so true. It's a lot of whatever your background you know, has to do with that, whatever your upbringing, what you were taught, that filters your lens in a scripture. And also when you, when you were talking about who determines what you deserve, because we know there were laws in this country that were targeting racial yeah. groups and women, even there were laws that did not recognize domestic abuse. It was basically, well, that's family business, you know, so whatever happens behind those closed doors, you know, whatever. And then until it became, oh, wait, this isn't right. You know, the realization. And then of course for blacks, it was uh, Jim Crow laws. And then there was laws against Asian Americans. And so, yes, there has been a determination of laws in our country and, and people deciding this is what you deserve, but it's not based on, this is what you deserve according to Jesus. This is what you deserve according to who I I think you are and the power that I think or that I have. And yeah. so, and it seems like a lot of the people that are fighting, fighting against this language hmm. are people who feel like they're going to lose power. Right. But I feel like, you know, Jesus, he's the ultimate. He's the ultimate power. He, he is the power. And if we are abiding with him or in him, the word justice, it it should not be intimidating and that should be something you fight against.
0: Yeah, what's fascinating is how, how Jesus exercised power. So power is an interesting word in and of itself. And I think certainly as we have these conversations, we should ask the questions of what does it mean? What does power mean to each of us? How is power exercised in the communities that we belong to? How does that power reflect the power that we see Jesus exercise? If you notice, so Jesus exercised the kind of power on on one end, the kind of power over over nature that we see. For example, when he calms a storm, right? He uses power. <laughs> That he has to, to help bring calm mm. and healing and safety to his disciples. That's one exercise of the power of, of Jesus. The other, actually, it's a fascinating exercise, which is dying on a cross. Mm. So it, it's a sacrificial type of power mm. that, that that provides for for the redemption of all of humanity and all of creation. So we have these exercises of power, both that lift up, mm. but also power that, that is humble and it, it brings low. And I think one of the questions for us in American society and as people of faith is how are we exercising the power and privilege that we do have? And how does our exercise of power and privilege reflect the reality of our encounter with Jesus Christ in the day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. And so justice is indeed about the exercise of power, but it's an exercise of power that does not mimic the power and principalities mm. that Jesus fought against. Mm. It's not coercive. It's not humiliating. It's not transactional.
1: Mm.
0: It's not power over. And so so I think one of the questions for us as, as people of faith is how are we exercising the power and privileges that we do actually have in light of our encounter with Jesus Christ and what adjustments might be needed in order for us To be able to be agents of transformation in in our communities
1: yeah that's good i i agree with that i think that also when you said how we can be agents in our community okay wait let me let me back up because this this is my question okay if if justice and power is according to your definition why do you think so many people are fighting against it in the faith community. And I it looks like you're working for someone other than Jesus. That's what mm-hmm. it looks like to me. And if you're working for someone other than Jesus, who are you working for? <laughs> that's kind of how I'm like, really? Do you not see the puppet strings? You know, that's
0: what that's what it looks like to me. In one of the great stories from the gospels, The evil one takes Jesus and shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And the evil one says, I got a deal for you. If you bow down before me, all of this stuff can be yours. And you can just imagine just imagine that that this is quite a picturesque and very vivid kind of encounter that Jesus has with the evil one. So I think part of what we have to remember, and this was Jesus, right, facing this reality, and and, and we cannot easily pass over this text as if, oh, this was so easy, Jesus, Son of God, of course Jesus is going to, Turn it away. No, no, it wouldn't be the temptation of Jesus if it wouldn't have been any real temptation for Jesus. That's the thing, right? This was a legit. Can I bypass the sacrificial servant pathway and skip it and go straight to the glory and to the power and to the control? Mm. And I think this is just an observation that I think one of the reasons why there seems to be a lot of heat these days around these issues of justice, reconciliation in our ecclesial communities is that it's all tied up to a larger way in which the Christian tradition in the United States has been deeply shaped by whiteness and white supremacy, has been deeply shaped by power and control and influence, has been deeply shaped by the powers and principalities of the world, and not by the servant leadership and the servant movement and the life giving movement of Jesus Christ. I say that today recognizing that any of us who are part of the Christian tradition are all, are all in that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We're all in it, all tied up with it, no matter who we are. Because I believe that only by speaking that reality can can restoration happen. So in some ways, the, the argument and the heat comes out of that awareness that's coming that, oh my goodness, maybe something hasn't been right. Maybe something... Maybe, maybe something needs to be changed and needs to be different. Mm-hmm. And part of that means a willingness to lose power and privilege and authority <laughs> in order to then become an agent mm. uh, of, a, of a much larger vision that truly includes all of creation. So that's the heat. I think the heat is the uncomfortableness with the loss of power, with the loss of privilege, with the loss of place. And and that's unfortunate, but it's very real and we need to take it seriously. So part of the justice work is to listen to one another and recognize the dignity of that other, especially enemy, especially those that I disagree with or disagree with me. I think even more important that we kind of come together and recognize each other's dignity and in some ways, begin again. Again, that thats to me is a, a key aspect of a kingdom vision, mm-hmm. as Jesus taught us. Didn't Jesus say that, like, love your enemies?
1: <laughs> just, me,
0: just me wondering.
1: Yes, there's a lot of basic things that he said that we uh, seem to be failing at as a faith community. <laughs> yes, we are very self-oriented and focused on our rights which th- that really blows my mind is because Jesus laid down his right. You know, for at any time he could have said, you know what, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to the cross for these people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. at any time. He could have exerted his power, but he laid that down to suffer for us and yeah. with us. Yes. Yeah. don't forget to give grit getting real a five-star rating follow and share so others can find me in honor of hispanic heritage month here's our hispanic latino business shout out on the previous episode i mentioned robertsy's hair salon where my daughter has sat on her eyebrows done the name has changed to Evelinda's, still located at 300 north 27th street and they will still slay those eyebrows we also have a personal message from Miski's Bakery. Listen up.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Lourdes. I'm the owner of Misky Bakery. I invite you. We are located on 505 North 27th Street in Lincoln, Nebraska. We have Mexican bread or Latino bread, and burritos, chicken empanadas. A lot of stuff you can try. We invite you by... Norte 27 Street en Lincoln, Nebraska. Eh, nosotros les ofrecemos uh, pan, variedad de pan, uh, pan dulce, pan latino. Eh, estamos tratando de poner uh, pan de, de diferentes uh, países uh, centroamericanos y sudamericanos también. Eh, igualmente les ofrecemos uh, burritos, uh, tamales, y pues uh, tenemos uh, pasteles para todo tipo de acontecimiento. Pues les invito a degustar nuestros productos. Tenemos las deliciosas salteñas que son de Bolivia y todo lo que puedan encontrar en cuestión de eh, comida o que es de bocaditos y postres eh, latinos. Uh, una vez más nos estamos localizados en Lincoln Nebraska eh, y pues les invitamos a visitarnos y disfrutar y degustar nuestras deliciosas masitas que tenemos muchísimas gracias por todo por toda su atención y por ayudar a a los pequeños negocios acá en Lincoln Nebraska gracias
1: okay so I have to talk about this um... Before we move on to the, I only have one more question, but this reminds me of, there's this new thing that's under debate, which is also shocking to me about empathy being a sin. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the latest, <laughs> but
0: that's right. the latest uh, controversy. Okay. All right. Ailey, controversy. Okay.
1: Yes. That there's a church uh, pastor who basically said that being too empathetic is sinful, like being sympathetic is fine, but being empathetic is sinful. And I, once again, (laughs) perplexed because God came down in Jesus incarnate with flesh, walked among us, suffered. And now Jesus is our intercessor who was here and he gets it. He's like, I, I got you. I see what you're going through. And I'm going to intercede for you or on your behalf. And so I'm very, I, I am like, okay, wait a minute. Why, how did this happen? How does empathy become a sin? It basically, they say that you're kind of coddling or not speaking truth or uh, that sort of thing. But yeah.
0: I, I think part of it for me is a, it's fascinating. It's this fear. This is interesting. We're having this conversation because it's this fear. Again, it's a fear of losing control. That's what it sounds to me. I really, I often say, and this is just my own spirituality. I, I don't claim you know, I'm just one person who I don't claim to have final answers for anything. But I often say to myself that, you know, i rather, I'd rather arrive and put myself before God and God say, you know what, Carlos, here's the thing. The thing, my, my bone to pick with you is that you just loved a little too much. You're a little too, you kind of went out there, man, and you kept on like, you kept on stretching it a little bit and you you kind of misquoted me a few times just trying to be a little too much too love too much love too much compassion too much empathy too too much like i honestly as a human being i rather i get that i get that i rather that than for me to stand before god at the end of time and god to say i don't know you mm. i don't know you yes. Mm -hmm. i was hungry and you ignored me Mm. i was thirsty and you passed me over i was sick and in prison and you acted like i didn't even exist so again for me just me as an individual follower of jesus i just and i don't say that trying to be a smart ass you know i really i really for me I rather lean on the side since I don't know the being who, who who is God, right since part of God is still a, will always be a mystery to me because my humanness is it's puny compared right. to the grandness of who God is, mm-hmm. then i rather lean on what I got and mm-hmm. what I got is this revelation of God in Jesus Christ and that call to love all people. so I'd rather lean on love and then I, and then I'll put myself to the mercy of God mm. at the end of time. I really, really do um, and I say that humbly and, and always constantly at in awe and wonder of, of that stuff. So of who this God is.
1: You and me both. I would rather lean on that side also than on the side of him saying he didn't know me or I sent you to be my servant and you weren't. Yeah, I would rather have that too. Okay. So how, how do we acknowledge, inform, and empower others in our communities toward the path of reconciliation and justice in our faith? And, you know, communities, it can be where we live, it can be our ethnic groups, our church community. Yeah. How do I empower others to, to do that? So
0: I'm an idealist, as you know. I think we discussed this together over coffee. I'm a dreamer. I told the group, I've been teaching this class on justice in, in our congregation at First Plymouth on Wednesday nights. And last week I said to them, kind of your exercise as you go home is to practice justice, that which God wants for the world, right? In the closest relationships to you mm. in your life. So I think that that to me, often the family is the first incubator of justice how how do we handle that reality in our own kind of closest relationships those kinships some of those are blood kinships yes but when i use the word kinship i mean a much larger understanding of those people that we have chosen to be in deep intimate relationships with in our home it's not just my spouse and my children but we have these friendships that are like sibling Mm -hmm. relationships right? We have these relationships in the congregational community that are like sibling relationships, right? So how do we practice justice doing that which God wants for the world in those closest relationships that we have? That, That means forgiveness. That means reconciliation. That means new beginnings. That means conversations as we continue to get to know one another. I have three children who are teenagers, and so They give me constant uh, school of of reconciliation and justice. (laughs) They they push me beyond my little cliches Mm. to make sure that what I'm saying actually reflects what I'm trying to do in the world. Mm. So to me, you start in those, how do you practice reconciliation? How do you practice curiosity about the other in those intimate friendships? how do we as parents stop acting like we know everything there is to know about our children? That's because we do that. That's part of the reason why we don't get along with other humans is because we assume that they're just like us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how dare you not think that way or how dare you not believe like I believe. So that curiosity starts at home. How are you curious with your partner? Are you curious with your children? How are you curious with your neighbor? Are you curious with your coworker, right? That curiosity that leads to wonder and awe, and, and that dignifying movement towards the other human, to me, is how justice actually begins. Jesus, one of the great sayings of Jesus is that now I call you friends, he tells mm-hmm. his disciples, right? In other words, that you call me Lord Lord, but now I call you friends. In other words, we are in intimate kinship together, mm-hmm. intimate kinship. So we, we share bread and we share a journey. And, and then Jesus kneels before them and washes their feet. What? Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Talk about an example of what justice looks like in the world and begin with 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 that idea of how do we provide curiosity and kinship in our closest relationships and begin to live and test a way of life that it's built around the other? It's not just about me, 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 but it's really about us together. And here's the thing. I believe, and I'm naive, and I'm idealistic, and and I know all that. I I know all that, okay? But I do, I'm convicted that as we rehearse it, that the spirit of the living God will glorify it over time, and that begins to have ripple effects in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our cities, in our states, in our nations. I mean, I I just, it starts in those closest relationships,
1: Mm.
0: and then it expands. As we lean on imagination and wonder and awe and reverence and dignity, you begin to create a new future uh, with much hope.
1: Well said. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> I think that is it. Thank you so much, Juan Ross, you. for joining me for this conversation. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. It's been awesome to be with you. And I look forward to many other conversations, whether we're recording them for a podcast or not.
1: I have a feeling we'll have quite a few that are not, not part of a podcast episode. I love that conversation. Such a refreshing conversation on biblical justice. A loyal listener will receive a giveaway box. To participate in the giveaway, follow my Instagram at rettle, Tell me your favorite episode and tag two friends. This giveaway is only open to the US listeners, but if you're an international listener, I haven't forgot about you. Stay tuned to future episodes because I'm going to do something special for you too. And if you enjoyed this episode, or if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to give Brit a five-star rating, follow and share. Getting Real Immersed in Truth is written, produced, and edited by me, Rabrina Rettle. Original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Connect with me on Instagram at Rabrina Rettle and check out my website, RobrinaRettle.com. I also have another uh, podcast on Life Audio, Mama Take Heart, Understanding Your Gen Z Girl. It's designed to help mama be the compassionate, gospel-centered, and influential voice in her girl's life. Okay, friends, until next time, keep your head up when getting real while immersed in truth.